Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show with Steve and Trish. Today's show is brought to us by our friends at Paychex and Work Human. Trish, you're auditioning for American Idol. Oh, what song are you singing for your audition tape? Oh my goodness. Okay, first, I'm going to have to like talk this out because I love these surprise questions. Okay. This is so hard. I've never thought about this. Did I stump you? You might have. Okay, let me just think about this. So, like, I have to think back to, like, what what do I, like, sing in the shower? Let me just, <laughs> let me just tell you, I, first and foremost, I'm not a singer. I'm an entertainer. So, I don't sing. Like Gaga, Madonna, kind of in that in that realm? You know what? In that, I gotcha. Even, Gaga is a far superior singer to most. But anyway, um... So I'm going to, this will be a surprise. So what I sing in the shower is Melissa Manchester's You Should Hear How She Talks About You. Okay. <laughs> Deep That's cut. So awful. Might oh work for the kids goodness. on American Idol. All yeah, right. Or, or probably something by Rick Springfield. Okay. Oh, like Jesse's Girl? No, not Jesse's Girl. That was the big Pretty one, right? Anything else. Yeah, but I think, again, I probably... Uh, Affair of the Heart, I think, is one I sing a lot. Yeah. I go okay. way back into the 80s. Clearly deep in the 80s my, catalog. All deep right. Deep in the 80s catalog for my shower performances. So I would have to... I think I think Melissa Manchester. Okay. I feel like that one would just pull at the heartstrings of America. Love it. How about you? What would you sing? That's a tough one, Trish. Uh, not much... I wrote down two thoughts as you were talking because okay. I'm trying to think of like the type of music I would like and be true to myself, not sell out, mm-hmm. but also think, hey, it's American Idol. It's you can make it your maybe own. some weird alternative stuff's not going to sure. fit there. So I'll give you one, the fairly recent song. I will go with Nearly Forgot My Broken Heart, Chris Cornell. Do you know that one? No. And Can so we put that in the show notes? We'll, I think we will try to get that one. The, the, the sad, the late Chris Cornell sadly passed away, but it was his last big hit, did it as a solo artist. And there's a great version of it on YouTube where he actually sings it with his daughter, who is a really? singer now, I think, as well. And it's it's a beautiful song. Was he with a band? How Soundgarden. I... Chris Cornell was the lead singer oh, of Soundgarden. Okay. All right. I'm so like, that is my... Huge, I mean, I like Soundgarden. That is my song. I wasn't like, into like, all their names and stuff. So, okay. All right. Trish. This is going to be a fun show. We had a fun start. One of our favorite shows to do, as always, by popular demand. Back by popular demand. This is the Workplace Movie Hall of Fame show on the HR Happy Hour. Today's movie, we're going to break down and talk about work, workplace, career, management, leadership, etc., etc. 2006's The Devil Wears Prada, which starred Anne Hathaway, Meryl Streep, Stanley Tucci and Adrian Grenier. Trish, a couple little facts about this movie. Yes. We know this movie. Most people know it's a very popular movie. Uh, it's set in New York City where the just-graduated journalism student Andrea Sachs, who's Anne Hathaway, she's hired to work as the second assistant for the powerful and sophisticated Miranda Priestly, who edits the big fashion magazine called Runway. So it's kind of like a cosmopolitan vogue oh, crossover sure. kind of yeah anna wintour kind of sure. thing she's supposed to be and the, the movie's about uh, andrea trying to navigate her way through this job with this incredibly demanding boss it's difficult some difficult co-workers and some trying personal circumstances uh, in 2006 this movie finished 11th in the in the united states box office 
gross to $125 million in the U.S. and $328 million worldwide. One last nugget on the movie for folks who don't know, and I didn't even know this, and I'd seen this movie before. It's based on a novel by Lauren Weisberger, also called The Devil Devil Wears Prada, sold over a million copies and spent 10 weeks at number one and a year on the New York Times bestseller list. The Devil Wears Prada 2006 is our movie today. It is. You also did not mention that another major player in it is Emily Blunt. I know. I should have mentioned that. Emily popular. Emily is in lots and lots of good movies um, since then and has become quite popular. So, um, yeah, this was one, I, I admit, I think I, I had definitely seen it, probably not at the movie theater, but definitely as soon as it came um, out, you know, for rental or, or whatever was what, what did we do back then was that like that was blockbuster maybe in 2006 no, i was thinking like maybe that was when well maybe blockbuster sure that could have been an option i was probably one of the people, hollywood video maybe um oh hollywood video we're going way back yeah no i think i was an early netflix adopter where mm-hmm. you would get the dvds in the mail did you ever do that i did so I think that's probably how I most likely watched it. So, no, good movie, but what was fun about re-watching it, as many of these, is I haven't seen it in so long. I really didn't even remember how it ended or a lot of the details of it. So it was a little bit like watching it for the first time again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's always fun. And as, as typical with the Workplace Movie Hall of Fame, we're bypassing spoiler alert. I'm not worrying about spoiling a 15-year-old movie, by the <laughs> way, for anybody. And I'll just say this. The ending is the worst part of this movie. Oh. If we're going to break this down like as a movie versus sort sure. of the workplace thing. Yeah. I thought the last 15 minutes were awful and like were obvious like how it was going to turn out. So uh, casting that aside, though, Right off the bat, Trish, for me, I'll throw out my first workplace topic. Andy shows up in the office, scene 1A of the movie, to interview for this job as the second assistant to the the magazine editor. She has never really read the magazine, knows nothing about fashion. She's, in a classic definition, she's not a culture fit for this organization. So does, does that matter? Should that matter? Does it matter that she's pretty qualified for the job? but has nothing to do with this world and doesn't fit at all when she walks in the door? Well, I would think if you ask most people, they would say, no, she would not fit. She should not be hired. But what I love about the movie is that Meryl Streep is the one that actually makes the decision right away to hire her in spite of sort of the obvious um, challenges she might face. But I think that if you have a good leader, and in this case, good meaning someone who maybe sees what's missing in the organization. Um, I, I think that's where this particular movie does a good job of showing why it makes sense to make a hire that may not be the obvious choice. Because all of the obvious choices were not lasting yeah. in the movie. That's why the position was open. And they kind of you know, blatantly tell you that, right? They've gone through a number of assistants who are aspiring models, who know a lot about fashion. But I think also they're, they're more focused on maybe moving into a different role Whereas Andy really just wanted a job. She's a journalist. She feels like this is a job that's going to get her some good connections. Again, this isn't her dream job either. Right. Of course. Yeah. Right? She... And so I think when you think back to maybe starting your career and starting mine, you definitely, you know, I, t- I took jobs um, in recruiting, for example. And I am not, you know, I knew I did not have lifelong recruiter um, as something I wanted to be. Not because there's anything wrong with it. Just because I'm just not 
great at doing that all the time. Yeah. But I took a job in order to sort of make the connections and start working my way into more of the, um, you know, talent development and that sort of a role. But anyway. So Andy starts working at the yes. magazine, thrown into the deep end, domineering boss Meryl Streep, Miranda. We'll talk about her in a second. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about this idea, though, of kind of sinking or swimming a little bit. So there's a, there's definitely an element here of her in this new role where she doesn't know anything. She doesn't know the lingo. She doesn't know the people. She's not getting a ton of help for her from her sort of direct supervisor, like first assistant Emily Blunt, who clearly doesn't like her and is not super interested in her succeeding. And she's just thrown right into it and, and sort of has to figure it out, which – most of us would say kind of enlightened HR and talent development and onboarding people would say, well, that's kind of, that's the way to kind of ensure failure, just throwing someone into the deep end and don't really tell them all that much about how to do their job and, and see if they figure it out. But is that true? Maybe. I mean, again, what do you think? Is it, is it a generational thing? Not in the sense of, of, you know, generation X or millennials or whatever, but in, in terms of, you know, generations working in the workplace back when we were younger um, that was absolutely how it was. I started at PricewaterhouseCoopers, and I remember asking my boss, again, I was fresh out of college, really just a year or two, and, you know, asking, like, where the manual was <laughs> for HR. I really asked that question, and he just looked at me and laughed, like, he's like, figure it out, really. Yeah. Like, And so there's something to be said for that, being scrappy, um, having to kind of put your foot in your mouth a little bit, trying to figure out how to navigate. I remember I had some partners there that were, you know, nearing retirement age. So at the time I thought they were very old at, you know, 55. Um, oh my gosh, they were smoking and cussing and carrying on and drinking, you know, and all the things. And here I am like this person trying to figure out the world of work, um, and, and in HR. So no, I think, I think for me, that's, there's, there's a good element in just being thrown in because again, if we handhold too much, then people will only do exactly what you ask them to do and no more. And, and I think you lose any innovation, you lose any ability to get their ideas. And sometimes you learn more from their screw ups than you do from what you tell them to do. Yeah. So I, I don't know. What about you? I mean, do you feel like one is more valuable than the other? One yeah, it's a fine line. I think I tend to agree with you. I think on this one, Trish, like I'd rather give less specific direction, like do this at this time in this manner on this day, et cetera, et cetera, right? Because if, if you tell someone exactly what to do, it's almost the best you're going to get is they'll do exactly what you tell them to do. Right. And that might be adequate, but it may not be innovative. It may not be interesting. It may not maybe push the, the group forward or the organization forward. If they're, uh, and, and in the movie, right, she's pretty smart. She's clever. She figures some things out on her own, mm -hmm. right? A, a great example in the movie is when, the boss, who we will talk about in a second, I promise, when Miranda, the boss, says, go get me a copy of the new Harry Potter book, mm -hmm. right? And no, not the one at Barnes & Noble, right? The one that is yet to be published, right? The uh, manuscript. The manuscript, exactly, right? And, and, you know, through various machinations and creativity, there's no manual, as you said, there's no manual right. at the magazine for how do I secure an unpublished Harry Potter manuscript for my boss, but... As it turns out, she's clever and creative, uses her contacts and her smarts, and, and gets the job done, right? Well, and not only that, the the boss is, you know, has twin daughters who are yeah. going to be like on this train, which is where they're wanting the book, and you know, so she kind of berates 
her for only getting one copy when really, in fact, not only has she gotten two copies, they have been bound and they were already in the hands of the daughters on the train. So yeah. again, I think that's where you start to see who in your organization will be a good leader someday just by their ability to be creative, to completely think outside the box, to get work done that needs to be done, even if it doesn't make sense, right? You're, you're sort of testing their loyalty, creativity, innovative thinking, all those things. And if you only, I, I would say this though, there's a place for everyone, right? Not everyone can do that. And so maybe if you throw someone in the deep end, it doesn't mean they're not going to work out. It just means that in the back of your mind, you sort of know they're probably more destined to be on the side of, I'm a doer, I need to be given direction, and then I can perform very well. Right. That's right. right. You need both in an organization. And we've talked about this before, not not too many not too many leaders, right? You, there's such thing as having too many. Yeah. So maybe that's a good test of, you know, testing leadership the old-fashioned yeah. way. Yeah. I have one more topic I want to hit before we take a quick break. Okay. She starts to do better at work. She struggles at first. Right. She's struggling with the people. She's struggling with the demands. She's struggling with the boss, learning her way around this new world. She starts to do better, but there's a key reason why I feel, in the movie anyway, she starts to do better which is a classic HR topic, right? She finds herself a mentor slash confidant. I knew you were going to say that. Right? She makes friends with Nigel, the character Nigel, played by the great Stanley Tucci, by the way, who's fantastic in this movie. Um, He's a longtime employee. He's kind of the second in command, maybe, uh, you know, in terms of fashion uh, editing at the magazine. And he kind of takes her under his wing, but not really. He mostly gives her really tough advice. Like, quit yeah. your crying, quit your whining. Either you're going to fit in here or you're not. And then he sort of helps explain to her how she might fit in. Right. I do, I do agree with him being a mentor to her, and that's important. I, it rubbed me the wrong way. And again, this is probably more just from when it was, you know, th- things have changed in the last, you know, 15 years or so since it came out. Uh, they, there, were, there were instances of him, you know, numerous times referring to her as fat. For example, like really, you know, okay, so but the, the movie definitely doesn't hold up in terms of, you know, yes. We, so, yes, it is good to have a mentor in your in your new job. It's fine if they're tough on you. I actually love when they're tough on you. Right. Um, it kind of reminded me when I was um, working in corporate and I had a, a CEO who was just very, let's just say very, very unique. Right. In his communication styles. And I just I kept wanting to, I'd say I want to crack that nut, right? <laughs> I'm going to be the one who figures out how to communicate with this person and, and really get in front of him. And, and my former CHRO, who was still my mentor, even though I was gone from that job, he said, you know, wh- like, why? There, there's just no value to it, though. So I think she, that's what she was learning from, mm-hmm. from her mentor there, right? Her boss was a nut that was not even intended to be cracked. You don't even need to. It's just figuring out yourself. So I did like that he threw it back on her, saying, "Quit your crying. You're you're not you're not appreciating and respecting our industry." Right. Right. Yeah. Um, now again, she had been treated really poorly at that point by the boss. Really, Definitely. Really by everybody. Yes. So, but he gave her no sympathy. He was like, "No, you're disrespecting our industry. You're disrespecting this magazine. You're disrespecting the level of experience and expertise that we all bring." Yeah. And you're not going to succeed here until you really make an attempt to understand and appreciate and to try right. to fit in. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I thought it was a key part of that movie. It I, is. It is. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk about Miranda, who is really who this movie, I think, is really about. 
Okay. All right. Well, I want to take a moment and, and mention our two generous podcast sponsors, Paychex and Work Human. They are both longtime friends of our show and solutions that we actually both personally believe in, which is very important. Paychex understands that many business owners are going through a time of unprecedented uncertainty and facing challenges they likely never thought they would face. COVID-19 has introduced uncharted waters and has many organizations concerned about business continuity, making payroll, and ensuring the health and safety of their employees. And Paychex is here to help you with that. From solving your cash flow issues to managing your state unemployment insurance to navigating new HR and regulatory environments, Paychex supports businesses through this turbulent time. To learn more, you can visit Paychex.com. That's P-A-Y-C-H-E-X.com and find out more about how they can help. And our other HR Happy Hour sponsor um, is WorkHuman. Their solutions replace isolation, which we are all going through. Absolutely. With recognition and connection and celebration. And, you know, I think that right now we're thinking of like connection is a Zoom meeting. <laughs> it's certainly a form of connection. But what WorkHuman is doing is really different. They are taking it to the next level. They're helping you keep morale high by celebrating new babies and birthdays and all the much needed well wishes and good things that um, are special in your organization um, with their life events. You can give and receive continuous peer feedback. You can have regular check-ins between managers and direct reports and set goals to stay aligned with conversations. And you can try these free through March 2021. So almost a whole year for free. You can visit welcome.workhuman.com to learn more. Great. So thank you to both of our sponsors. Yes, thanks to Paychex and WorkHuman. Okay, back to The Devil Wears Prada, Trish. This movie is essentially about Miranda Priestly, the Meryl Streep character, I think. Okay. She's actually much more interesting, I think, than the Andy Anne Hathaway character. Okay. Which, like I said, in the last 15 minutes, we kind of figured that all out and we knew it was coming, in my opinion. That's true. So to me, the first thing I thought about in terms of places I've been or just the workplace around Miranda Priestly is it's a domineering boss, mm -hmm. of course, but also like more than that, this organization, this entire magazine is really a culture of personality. It's basically completely about Miranda Priestly, her running the show. She's been there a long time and everything flows from her. Like every decision flows from her, even, you know, even hiring the second assistant, right? right. All the way to what's going to be on every single page of the magazine in every given month, right? And, and everyone runs in fear of her. Like the whole enterprise is tied up in her. And I think that's that can be good. It can be good for a while. But I also think that's really dangerous for organizations. Like what happens when either that person starts to lose it a little bit or starts to get too much in their own head or starts to get too, I don't know, egotistical and, and, and wacky. Like right. organizations that are run as a cult of personality, I think that's a, that's a problem, I think, just in general. Oh, it is. I think, too, with her, I mean, again, something, you know, the person could get sick. They could pass away. They could you know, um, not be able to just handle the pressure after a certain amount of time or, or their performance starts slipping. So definitely a lot of dangers. I think when you, when you work for someone like that, especially when it is the person at the highest level, it's really challenging. And I think I'm, I'm a fan of being a strong leader and a strong boss. I'm, I'm definitely just thinking of, of my own way of leading teams when I've had them. Um, I think you can absolutely be a strong leader like that. But I think you do have to show your softer side from time to time. You 
don't always have to bark orders at people. You don't always have to um, degrade, like, well, it should never degrade them. But then that was sort of what was happening, right? She was, she was feeling more powerful by the way that she was belittling everyone on her team. And, you know, again, just because if your boss comes in and curses for 10 minutes every single morning, it doesn't, you know, just because everyone's used to it doesn't mean it's okay. Yeah. So I think that's what bothers me about her role. Yes, she was successful, but it wasn't until we started seeing a little bit of chink in the armor and that Andy started kind of getting in there with her as a person that that there was that real connection and where things actually started taking interesting and new directions. Yeah. There's some one parallel that I've been thinking about lately just because it's timely, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Miranda Priestley in the movie is constantly, as you said, you said belittling, which is the perfect word, right? She's belittling her staff. She's belittling even the higher level staff. She's belittling the fashion designers who don't even work for her, who are just showing her their latest designs, right? Right. To get in her magazine. And she sneers at them and, you know, really puts them down. And the equation I'm making in in my mind is uh, Michael Jordan, right? The Michael Jordan documentary is running it's been running for the last sure. few weeks. We'll continue to run. Michael Jordan was famous for belittling his teammates, putting them down and mocking them and pushing them around. It's not some, not really physically, but you know, just egg edging them on. And mm-hmm. his his uh, justification always was, "Well, I'm trying to make them tougher. I'm because they need to be tough in order for us to win these tough games, and I'm trying to make them really." you know, get the best out of themselves. And this is my method. And I got to harden them because if they're not tough, they can't win with me. They can't go to play the game with me. And I think in this movie and in a lot of real world, real business situations, there are a lot of bosses and leaders or founders or whatever who think that's the case as well. I need people who are of a certain type of mental toughness. And the only way I'm going to find out if they're mentally tough is if I test them. And how do I test them? One way is really pushing hard on them and pushing them down a little bit. Well, I agree. I agree with that. I think you should. I think that's fine to test people in that manner. But I think that when you do it the way that was handled in the movie or the way that Michael Jordan, in your example, it goes too far. There's never the time then where you build the person up. And that's the missing piece. And so when I think back to a few years ago, we talked about it on the show where if you look at the Marines, the Marines are tough. Right. Sure. But they bring people in and for 12 weeks, they break them down, break them down, break them down. They tell them they're garbage or whatever that, you know, um, and but but at the end, the reason is because it sort of gives you a blank slate so that that way, when you start recognizing and rewarding the behaviors that you do want to see, it means more. You're building that loyalty and that trust. I think if you only break someone down all the time. You're going to cause them, I would talk about, you know, mental health nowadays in the workplace. I mean, that's what causes it. The stress, it just isn't necessary. And I think that when that movie came out, when I look back to the beginnings of my career, that was, that was how you, you just thought it was done. And that's what was done. Yeah. Expectations have changed a lot. I mean, it's, it's no, probably for the most part, people are not working into you know, corporate jobs, office jobs, especially to think like, I'm going to be abused and belittled and and kind of put down by my boss and and tested in that manner. It's unusual, probably in in most corporate settings, uh, certainly today. I think too, it's different if you, if you are being critical of someone's work product, Mm. I'm completely okay with that. 
And I've been very tough in my career on people's at times on their work product, but never on them personally. I sort of view it like raising children. I mean, I, I think that a lot of what, what you do as a leader is a, a lot of what you do maybe as a parent. Um, you know, you, you don't want to break the person's spirit. So you criticize maybe the work or the output. You don't criticize the individual. And yeah. I think that's in the movie, that's what was happening a lot to all of them. They were being criticized as individuals. I think also, too, if you have a boss like that, um, I, I wouldn't say quit your job. Actually, I think you'll learn maybe more from from spending, like sticking it out for a certain amount of time and spending with them and learning from them if you can, because um, it might even teach you how not to do it. Mm-hmm. Right? There's some of that. But when I think of my hardest bosses, and some I had were like that, um, in hindsight, I respect what they were trying to get out from me, and... I'm probably a better performer today because of it, but it also, it's very hard once you're trained that way to turn it off. Right. Very hard. Yeah. So that's the caution. Um, it's difficult to pivot when you've had a lot of success for a very long time operating in a certain way. It's pretty clear in the movie that this was Miranda's way. Everybody knows her. Everybody gets her. Everybody's afraid of her. She's probably been operating like that ever since she was put in charge. And it'd, and it be, it'd be difficult for her to change. Sure. I want to talk. I have one more for, for me on this from a workplace movie that we that I want to throw out there, and, and it's this one. The possibility of sort of unfair expectations and norms that we put on women as leaders. And I want to give you a quote from the movie. Okay. Here it is. There's a part in the movie where M- Andy Anne Hathaway is kind of talking to someone else in the fashion industry about her evil, horrible domineering boss Miranda and she defends her boss and she says if she were a man the only thing people would talk about is how good she is at her job not how awful she is and monstrous she is and what a bee she is etc etc and I I do think that's true should should Miranda have to act differently than a male would in that role doing many of the same things they just say oh he's just a tough guy He's hard-nosed. He's, you know, he's rough around the edges, right? It, it, but for, a, is it, you know, I don't know, Trisha. Obviously, <laughs> amongst the two of us, you're the woman in the conversation. But I, th- I think there's an element of truth to that. I certainly feel like women are held to some different standards when it comes to tough cracking down and being really authoritative. I, I don't know. I'd love for you know, what do you think about that? That's really a tough question. Um, in my experience, I'll, I'll answer two ways. In my experience... I would say I, I disagree with that, and the reason being because I have I've had predominantly male bosses over my career, and a number of them just because of the type of places I've worked, working in you know big four public accounting, working in healthcare at a very high level, um, working in technology. I think that you report to men who are very, very bold, very dominant. You know. Um, I tend to, I will say this, I tend to work well with that because my father was that way. So I know how, I know how to play the game with a personality like that. So it doesn't really bother me. Um, so I've never felt like I had to prove myself to be a, a certain kind of a leader because I'm a female, but I can see how other women might feel that way. Again, if you are in an environment that is not as driven, hard-nosed, you know, whatever, where that's encouraged even. I've just, I've just always worked in industries and organizations where that was absolutely 
encourage male or female to be completely type A off the charts. So again, I think I might, you know, I might not be the best person to answer that question. <laughs> I think you're probably more correct, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But in my experience, that's not, I wouldn't agree with that. Yeah, I mean, there's some elements there, I think. I, th- I think there's some elements to think about in terms of like what we allow male leaders or bosses to get away with, which we sort of don't want to allow female bosses or leaders to get away with. Certainly this happens a little bit in this movie. And then also one last thing, I swear this is the last thing, is um, Andy gets a lot of grief from her friend group and her boyfriend, mm-hmm. right? She's working so hard. She's oh, working sure. late nights. She's she's at 24-7, right, you know, on call for her boss. Right. And, and I feel like, you know, there's an element of, you know, for guys, that's kind of okay sometimes. And for women, it's weird. She's she's always apologizing for it, yeah. you know, to her friends and to her dopey boyfriend. And, like, that's not fair either, I guess I'd say. You know, women should never – no one should have to apologize if that's their choice. If your choice is to be really dedicated, career-focused, career-minded, driven, you should never have to apologize for it. But I do think we make women apologize for it a little more. That's it. That's my last comment. I think that's gotten better over the years, in my opinion. I've always been someone, for example, who's very driven. So I can relate to her in that my my answer would have been find new friends, find new boyfriend, <laughs> or no boyfriend. Um, you know, when you think back, I know that boyfriend career, was stiff, by the way. No, Didn't... when you think back over your career, your your twenties are your time. You you typically typically are not you know married or children or whatever whatever your life is going to look like sure that's the time to go after it that's the time you put in all those hours that's the time you if you are driven that's the time you drive the hardest right because you're trying to learn as much as you can put in as many hours as you can sort of show what you know you're trying to put in those extra hours of practice right where you have to learn your craft and i would say that if anyone derails you from your dream whatever that dream is that's not the right person for you. So yes, dopey boyfriend. You know, there's one point where it's his birthday. Oh, I know. He's whining and, about his birthday like and, he's seven. Yes. Ugh. And like her best friend is like, oh, you're going to miss his birthday. But she's getting the opportunity to go to like this huge event where she is finally going to get like all of this grief she's went through to finally make some real connections in the in the field of journalism, which is her study of choice, right? What's going to be her whole career. And... She's in New York City. Is she really going to, to pass that up and go home so that he can have a cupcake with a candle? No, I think she made the absolute right choice. <laughs> Personally, because anybody in your life that knows you should understand. Now, again, if, you, if you're doing things to hurt other people intentionally, that's, that's a little different. Yeah. You know. And, and it's a lesson for both of them. It's a lesson for the boyfriend or the friends. It's a lesson for her. Yeah. You know, you have to make choices. You cannot have it all. Yeah. That's a, I mean, it's maybe a good way to wrap this. There's there's, a, there's going to be that trade-off all the time. Always. We talk about work-life balance all the time. There's we talk about the show. But, like, uh, she's making some uh, – she had to make decisions, right, to further her career and her Absolutely. ambition. And, and, you know, and that makes sense. And don't don't – don't feel shame for it and don't apologize for it. I can think no, it's the and there is no work-life balance. When we did our very first HR Evolution, you know, uh, 11 years ago, there we talked about this then. We're talking about it yeah. now. There is no balance. There's no such thing. It's making choices, either personal choices or work choices, at the time you need to make them to hopefully do well in both. But you cannot have it all at the same time. It just yeah. doesn't work that way. That's not how life works. All right, Trish, good stuff. I love this movie. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I don't like the last 10 minutes. Fair enough. 
but I like the movie a lot. So it was great, great uh, fun to watch it again. I love that we do this because I do, I, I'm always surprised when we watch movies that we haven't seen for many years at what I think the movie's going to be about versus what, <laughs> what it actually is about. And then again, like we mentioned, there are just things that back then we wouldn't have batted an eye. And now it's just completely unacceptable the way that people in that movie yeah. are treated or talked to and the way people are behaving. So yeah, it was an interesting one. So people should check it out. Let us know what you think. The other thing I'd like to say, please let us know what movie you want us to review next, right? We have so many people ask for these shows. Um, should we give them the behind the scenes that you and I actually fight about what we're going to that we discuss a little bit and, and, and we debate and banter. We did agree on this one, which was great. And we did. The next one's a little up in the air. We had an idea and it may not pan out the way Wait, we can thought. We just give me credit here. So I because I did tweet out. So we were going to do a few good men. Yes. The world can just know if they don't already that I dislike Tom Cruise very much. Anything after the firm, really, I'm kind of eh. On Tom Cruise. I haven't seen him, actually. I'd never seen A Few Good Men. You got me to agree to see it. We were going to do it as a workplace movie hall of fame. I watched the movie. You watched the movie again. And then you tell me, oh, I don't think there's really any workplace I don't. I don't think there's enough. There's. It's too much military <laughs> command and control so stuff. I, it's, so I've been tricked into watching a Tom Cruise It's probably movie. not going to work. So I uh, apologize. Oh. Mission Impossible 3. Watch no, that one next. No, that, that'll be... I am never, that's it. I can assure you this is the last time. Unless I'm re-watching Risky Business or something along those lines, yeah. then forget it. I have mm. no desire to see it. All right. That. We'll figure it out for the next one. So, uh, all right. This has been fun. Thank you so much, everyone. Trish, thank you. Thank you. Great to uh, have everyone with us today. So that's it from the HR Happy Hour show. We will see you next time. Check out all the show archives at hrhappyhour.net. And remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. And bye for now.